podcast ain't played nobody this is Stephen godfrey you can reach me at 38 godfrey on instagram and twitter uh bud richard myself we're about to break down what is affectionately known as SoCon Saturday. So what we decided to do was bring back hashtag AskPAPN. We're going to get right to it in a second. Uh, we split our tasting menu up between um, a quick 30-minute edition and then we cherry-picked some great AskPAPN questions that have been, uh, let's say, gestating over the past couple months as we have tried to figure out a home for AskPAPN. The good news is this. If you like that format, we're going to bring more of it back as we get away from the regular season structure into bowl season. A couple bonus episodes um also one housekeeping note we will be going twice a week from here until at least the end of the calendar year and beyond so if you have questions please send them the best way to do that is to go on twitter at 38 godfrey or at banner society and use the hashtag that's the biggest thing use the hashtag ask papn a-s-k-p-a-p-n that way anybody can see it because you know, Bud pulls some that he likes. Richard pulls some that he likes. I pull some. If you use the hashtag when we click on that, uh, we can find it no matter who you actually mentioned. It doesn't really matter what Twitter handle you use. Um, one other thing, if you're listening to this and you're in uh, spitting distance of Bloomington, Indiana, this Saturday for the Indiana-Michigan game, myself and Spencer Hall will be at a special tailgate uh, with our friends at Homefield, Homefield Apparel, those are all a bunch of Indiana boys. They're uh, IU fans. Hashtag nine Windiana. I'm sure you've seen that been ro- kind of rolling around our stuff and their stuff on social media. We will be there. Check our uh, social media stuff and our. Uh, I'll be doing Insta from old for olds from Bloomington that morning. I don't know if I can't do it if I don't have kids with me, but it's going to be really nice to sleep in on Saturday. Uh, our Instagrams, Twitters, all that will have the specifics on like location. Obviously, I don't know a ton about like IU football tailgating, but I'm about to find out. If you are going to that game, please stop by. Please say hello. We've got some really cool stuff to give away, uh, and it's always fun to meet you. So let's do a tasting menu. Let's do a little Ask PAPN, and uh, hopefully I will see you guys uh, in Hoosier country. Gentlemen, we decided earlier last week uh, that this was going to be a super fast tasting menu. You guys held me to that. We're going to do a little Ask PAPN. That's right. Hashtag Ask PAPN is returning. Boo, boo, boo. Ask PAPN bike. Was that the... That was kind of like a like a siren there. Do it again. Boo, boo, boo. Instant rap air horn, baby. Air horn. I was thinking of uh, Zuzu Vela, the thing from the World Cup. Vuvuzela, you're close. Vuvuzela, whatever. I don't care. It was 10 years ago. Plus, it's soccer. It's not even a real sport. Everyone's going to get mad about that one. Um, all right. You guys ready? Here's the deal. We're going to go fast. We're going fast for the benefit of you, the listener, because um, uh, Richard, in five seconds, could you describe this week's uh, quality offerings? Uh, this is the week that we affectionately love to call SEC SOCON Challenge Week. Uh, the week before Rivalry Week, uh, primarily because AC- the ACC and the SEC have a lot of cross-divisional games during Rivalry Week. Um, SEC schools and ACC schools, too, they're not immune, uh, really deeply enjoy scheduling the Citadels of the world and the Furmans hey. of the world. Um, this week is a little bit different because some teams have buys because the calendar's weird, so a lot of teams have two buys this season. I think every team has two buys this season. So there's a little bit less of playing SoCon, but Auburn's playing Samford, folks. See, I I asked the aspiring young millennial to sum it up in five seconds, and he gave you a very detailed analysis. What he didn't know is you can just say, hey, this week is butt. There you go. I'm too pretty to be brief. Podcasting is a visual medium. God. 
help me. All right, Thursday night, NC State's at Georgia Tech, 7 p.m. Uh, God's Time Zone Central Time, ESPN. Uh, Bud, I remember NC State. What happened to them? They lost some really good coordinators, made some questionable choices to replace them, lost a lot of talent to the NFL. Now they need this to make a bowl game. I mean, they're going to have to win next week too. Uh, but, yeah, be a good idea to win this. That's all I got on this one. Oof. All right, let's move on, <laughs> let's move on to Friday night. Uh, the Colorado State uh, is going to Wyoming. Does anyone know what the trophy is on this one? Is that the rifle? Nope. But Bighorn elk or something? You're both wrong. Battle of the Golden Boot, baby. Wait, there's uh, another Battle of the Golden Boot? Well, okay, so here's the deal. This is an actual, this is a, oh, wait, it's a bronze boot. Okay, so it's a boot, but it's actually a real boot that was bronzed. All right? The boot that you're thinking of, Richard, is Arkansas LSU, right? The one that, like, neither side actually cares about and is, like, in a broom closet at LSU right now? Okay, so I can tell you this for a fact, and I don't know if I'm supposed to, but whatever. Um, <laughs> two things real fast. It's called a boot because it's literally a, a piece of metal that looks to, it's like fake gold or whatever. It's like a giant, imagine a giant sheet metal replication of the state of Arkansas on top of the state of Louisiana. Hence the idea of a boot, right? It's very wobbly and it sits on like one of the, it sits on a big wooden base. All right. It's sharp. It's heavy. It's, yeah, it's, it's the, huge. It's huge. Every time I go to LSU, it sits like behind the desk, behind the secretary in like this welcome area for the football offices. Next to it, I might add, is the Magnolia Bowl trophy, which if you if you Google it, the best way it's been described to me, and I actually know the guy who made it in Oxford, so I feel bad, but he did it to spec. It looks like if you ever go to your grandparents' house and they have one of those old-timey wooden boxes that go over the Kleenex thing, like a decorative kind <laughs> yeah, of Yeah, my mom has one of those. My mom okay, y'all know what I see. You either know exactly what I'm talking about, Southerners and Midwesterners, or you have no idea what I'm talking about. And that's fine, all right? That's what that one looks like. That one last week, gentlemen, was accidentally left on the field. And I don't know how accidental it was. After LSU beat Ole Miss in Oxford... The, the equipment crew, everybody packs up. You guys are both familiar what it's like after a game, right? They just left the trophy. It's just sitting there. <laughs> so it's in Oxford, even though LSU's won the last however many. All right, there's my aside. Uh, Hashtag I, rivalry. Uh, Bud, very quickly, Colorado State showing a little bit of life? Yeah, there's no doubt. They're playing a lot better in the, la in the last month. I was a little surprised because they had lost their quarterback. But uh, it seems like they really have stuff together. They're not going to make the championship game, but could play a little spoiler in the Mountain West. And uh, yeah, I just want to acknowledge it because we, we definitely crapped on them deservedly uh, in, in September. They, they played pretty poorly. They had some issues, but now they're uh, they seem to be playing better over the last month. So do we think that's enough to save what we thought was inevitable? RE, Mike Bobo and job security a month and a half ago. I haven't heard anything. I have not heard that kick back up recently. That doesn't mean it won't happen. They could just be waiting until the end of the season. I would think that uh, I know there's a buyout associated with Bobo, and I know it is a job that is highly thought of in G5 circles. So I, to be continued, he says, to create dramatic effect when mm -hmm. in actuality he doesn't know and needs to make phone calls. <laughs> Let's move on to Saturday. I'm going to do the uh, entire morning slate very quickly. Uh, I threw this one in because some people give a huge shit and some people don't. Harvard's at Yale on ESPNU at 11 a.m. Uh, Illinois is at Iowa on Big Ten yeah! Network. Y'all think Kinnick something? Kinnick ain't nothing, boy. They're going to get stomped. Yeah. Kansas is at Iowa State. <laughs> yeah. Kansas is at Iowa State on FSN. 
Liberty is at Virginia on the ACC Regional Network. Michigan State is at Rutgers on FS1. Minnesota is at Northwestern on ABC. Oklahoma State is at West Virginia on ESPN2. Penn State is at ah, Ohio State. That's your big nude game on Fox. Samford, one more time. It's okay because everybody's podcast is their first podcast. Everybody's year of college football. Somebody's having their first year of fandom. So Samford is at Auburn. Not Stanford. Samford is a small private school in Birmingham. Terry Bowden coached there. They are the Bulldogs. That's about all you need to know. Samford is at Auburn on SEC Network. Central Florida is at Tulane on CBS. Um, wait, is that right or is that CBS Sportsnet? Hmm. Oh. Man, that has to be CBS Sportsnet. They did not flex an AAC game. Keep going. Bucks. I'll Google. Western Carolina's. Hey, man, it's your spreadsheet. Uh, Western Carolina's at Alabama on ESPN. <laughs> Ball State's at Kent State, <clears throat> excuse me, on ESPN3, also on ESPN3 East Carolina. Yes, that is UConn. CBS Sports Network for UCF yep. and Tulane. That's okay. Just a little hiccup there from uh, LSUSports.net. We still love you, baby. Uh, Air Forces at New Mexico at 1 o'clock Central on ESPN3. I'm going to just roll the 1 o'clocks in here. South Alabama is at Georgia State on Plus. And then uh, the two one thirty games, Boston College is at Notre Dame on NBC. Texas State is at App on one thirty on ESPN+. Plus. I will stop and come back for 2 o'clock. Whew. Okay. Um, yeah, so obviously it's the big nude game there. That That's your watch. That's your pick. Um, Minnesota's going to be totally fine against Northwestern. Um, Illinois and Iowa, That that is of interest. But I'm just going to go ahead and tell you, in, in the interest of brevity, that's your pick. Uh, gentlemen, Bud, first, tell me a little bit about Ohio State, Penn State. Uh, need to see if KJ Hamler is going to play in this game. That's probably Ohio State's or Penn State's only real shot to win. I'm a little bit concerned about the regression being shown by Penn State's offense of late. It seems like they're kind of reverting to the QB being the only run game. Uh, we know Noah Kane's been hurt for Penn State a little bit. Uh, Ohio State should be well rested because they didn't play a lot of their guys last week, and those who did play only played about a quarter or two. And Ohio State actually made the most disappointing column that I write because uh, they failed to cover the spread by or like come within at least uh, two scores of the spread for and first what, time this year. What, what, that that what was that spread exactly? Uh, Fifty-two and a half, I think it, it closed at. So, uh, yes, yeah. I. Uh, but yeah, eighteen-point spread here is real big. We know from Bill Connolly that uh, those teams that are actually favored by that much in a top ten versus top ten matchup typically do very well. Uh, but I went ahead and took it at I think eighteen five or nineteen. On Sunday on our, our show, twitch.tv slash Banner Society, we have one week left of wins. Richard, I have a question for you based off of what we talked about on the last show. Sir. We know now what hurts Penn State and how to hurt them with their oh, defense. Oh, we sure do. With that in mind, and as good as we all think Ohio State is, and I think we're all in agreement that Ohio State's winning this game, give me the quick recipe for how Penn State keeps this thing close and puts themselves in position for an unthinkable upset. They have got to hope that they are able to get what has been broken in their defense structurally, which is the back end, um, specifically explosive plays and explosive throws. They got to hope that they got that figured out. I I am I'm not I'm not bullish on Penn State winning this game, but if I'm going to take Penn State in any phase of this game, I think it's going to be defending the run as much as you can defend a run that's got Justin Fields as the um as the palatable option as as the the lesser of two evils um but yeah so if Penn State can keep the top on their defense they have a fighting chance to win this game more so than otherwise now 
uh, Ross Fulton over at Ohio State's um, Rivals website did, had a really good take on Ohio State uh, in the game against Rutgers. Frankly, they used that as a glorified scrimmage, which they did. But there are two things that he really hit on, one on offense, one on defense. The thing on offense was the downfield corner route. And that is one of the things that I think Ohio State can exploit effectively because of Penn State's um, somewhat rough safety rotation in the last couple weeks to call uh, to, to say that nicely. I'm putting that nicely. Um, so if you use those deep downfield corner routes, uh, you can exploit a uh, bad hip turn. Uh, bad rotation by the safeties or late rotation by the safeties, and you can have a window to nail deep shots down the field. Um, on defense, Ohio State, I, Rutgers had a lot of three-by-one sets, apparently. I, I'm not going to act like I won that game or watch that game. Um, but w- when they have three-by-one sets, three receivers to one side, one receiver to the other, Penn State, similar to like I- if you watch Florida, they single up the tight end on the backside. He's the single receiver. Um, Firemuth is an incredible pen, uh, tight end for Penn State, just like Kasicki was. They're rolling in another big guy um, who's really, really uh, dangerous as a threat in the passing game. Uh, and so Penn State, excuse me, Rutgers showed a lot of that to Ohio State. Ohio State has seen that and hopefully are ready for it against Penn State on Saturday. Gentlemen, let's go to the afternoon. <clears throat> let's start it as we always do. That's not true at all, but I just wanted to shout out to my team, Georgia Southern. They go to Arkansas State at 2 o'clock on ESPN+. Plus. Mercer is at North Carolina on the ACC Regional Sports Network at 2.30. Michigan, here's the big one. And why is it big? Because I'm going to be there, and we're going to talk about that in a second. Michigan goes to Indiana at 2.30 on ESPN. Nebraska goes to Maryland on the Big Ten Network. North Texas is at Rice on NFL Network. Pittsburgh goes to the suddenly Orange Bowl-bound Virginia Tech. That's a thing. That's an actual factual statement. No jokes, no lies. ESPN 2. Southern Methodist University goes to Navy on CBS Sports Network. Texas is at Baylor on FS1. Texas A&M is at Georgia. Look out for that game. That's a weird schedule there, SEC. Uh, Texas A&M is at Georgia on CBS. UCLA is at USC on ABC. Louisiana Tech is at UAB. That's the big one there in the Conference USA. That game's on plus. That kind of sucks for them that it's relegated to plus. Marshall is at Charlotte on Facebook. That's a weird thing to say. Sure. Uh, yeah, okay. Uh, Western Kentucky is at Southern Miss on plus. Cal, Stanford, 3 o'clock, Pac-12 Networks. Damn, that sucks. Interesting game. Uh, ESPNU, 3 o'clock, Memphis, South Florida. Could be a... You know what? I'm not even going to say it's going to be a bloodbath. South Florida has this weird zombie-like tendency. Purdue at Wisconsin, 3 o'clock on Fox. The ATT Rocky Mountain Network has UNLV in San Jose State at 3 o'clock. ACC Network has Syracuse at Louisville. UTEP is at New Mexico State. Big rivalry game there. I'm not joking. Uh, on Flow Sports. Don't ask me what that is. Three, uh, 3.30 ESPN3 Old Dominion at MTSU, Middle Tennessee State. Coastal Carolina is at ULM on ESPN3. Troy is at Louisiana Lafayette at 4 o'clock on ESPN+. Plus. At 5 o'clock, we'll stop here. Florida Atlantic is at UTSA. What actually jumps out at me about the schedule is this is sort of the Sun Belt's week to shine, and Conference USA as well, just because there's there's less volume, and they have all of these conference games littered around. And I'm about to answer my own question. This Texas A&M-Georgia game was slotted specifically against the criticism of the old SOCON challenge problem. So that's why you're seeing a... I don't know, kind of quote unquote, uh, a marquee cross divisional game this this late in the season. Uh, I like it, I guess, just because it it you know 
it's a backstop against all the crap games. It's just still kind of weird to see it on the schedule like this. Um, let's go ahead and just start there. This is uh, going to be a really slow game. Bud, you have it uh, sort of put perfectly. This is the tortoise and the tortoise. And who can be slower? <laughs> well, like, like, if you... Is this just a, like a, a drag ass competition where the the person who shows the least like physical functionality wins? Yeah, have you guys seen the Instagram of the dog who is in the, the water therapy and he's like doing the thing where he's like, I'm going to get the least amount of effort possible that, to make convince people that I'm not actually sleeping. Yes, <laughs> while I'm in the water. I know that's kind of this like two good to really good defenses, two okay to good offenses, I would say, that are probably a little bit better than what their stats show because they run such a slow pace. Like I don't think anybody's going to get each other out of their comfort zone as far as tempo in this game. Georgia doesn't need style points, obviously. They just need to get get, get the win. Uh, this would be very big for A&M to actually get one of these wins uh, and you know end up having like an 8-4 season. I would expect Georgia to win. Uh, but uh, A&M's offensive line this year has had some issues at times, and we'll see if they can block Georgia. My, my gut says no. We'll do, see. do you think – how close do you think Texas A&M is to actually fully realizing what Jimbo wants to do on offense? Now, clearly they're not close-close, but I mean like if we're talking progression 0 to 100, like how close do you think they are on kind of a, a progression or tracking towards the goal? Probably a quarterback who's not – I don't know if he's on the roster. I, I don't think it's Mond. Uh, I, think, I think he does a good job with him, but I don't know that's exactly what Jimbo wants. And a few more offensive linemen, and I know that they are, they're a little bit light on backs right now, so maybe a year or two away. Uh, by the way, I don't know if you guys have looked at this real quickly. Next year, A&M, uh, with LSU losing Burrow and Bama losing Tua and no obvious replacements for those two guys right now. But- it's the schedule, isn't it? That's what you're going to talk about, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, the schedule is also more like, like more friendly, uh, but also like the, the two people in the West that really threaten you the most uh, in, in Bama LSU are, are both probably going to take a little bit of a step back. God, right, okay. I'm going st- to stop everything just to read this off because Ryan, Nanny, and I were having this conversation this weekend, and we stumbled upon the narrative for the entire SEC West next year. Gentlemen, I present to you the future Texas A&M schedule. Keep in mind what Bud just said, right? A weakened LSU or an LSU removed of its of its marquee power. This is the 2020 A&M schedule. Abilene Christian, North Texas, Colorado, Arkansas, Mississippi State, Fresno State, Auburn, South Carolina, a bye, Ole Miss, Vanderbilt. You don't play Alabama or LSU until the last two games of the year. What? That's not a good thing, though. I want to get Bama and LSU early next year. Yes, bud, but this means a nine and zero Texas A and M team. I think he's more t- he's more talking Probably. about dumb narrative than he is about football. This oh, is no, no, going to no. be. I'm not talking about football at all. No, no, I'm no, talking no. about not, shit. Yeah. We're going to listen to y'all. This thing is go- if they if they lose one of these next two games very close, or even God forbid, win one of them, win the bowl game, and then we've got nine months of this talk about Texas A and M. Kind of like what we, what me and you just said. How close is Jimbo to realizing the vision? Maybe they get a transfer quarterback or a couple linemen, and then they start seven and zero. Oh yeah, baby! It's narrative all day, every day. Playoff. I really wish I hadn't said this because I, I wanted to bet A and M preseason next year, uh, but yeah. now like you're you're right. This narrative is going to be out of control. Well, something tells me that we didn't create it, and and I don't think we really amplified it that much. But I do appreciate your, I appreciate Bud's estimation of the podcast that we're changing lines in Vegas. I like that. 
Uh, gentlemen, uh, shameless plug time. Yours truly and Spencer Hall will be in Bloomington, Indiana for the Michigan-Indiana game. Uh, we will be doing a meet and greet with Homefield. You can check the Banner Society Twitter. You can check my Twitter at 38Godfrey. You can also check Spencer at Everyday Should Be Saturday, EDSBS. It's always so hard to say. Uh, for all the details and meetups and all that stuff, uh, Homefield is a beloved sponsor of our podcast. Uh, gentlemen, tell me what I'm going to see in Bloomington, bud. Can they pull off the upset? Hashtag 9WinDiana. Is WAP going to play? Because uh, I I got down on some sweet, sweet live wagering when when, uh, when he and Hamler uh, were both out uh, in that Penn State-Indiana game and uh, t- taking the under there several times. If he doesn't play, I really think that Indiana could struggle uh, to affect Michigan. The teams that beat Michigan usually are the guys who can take advantage of all the zero and singles they play on the outside. Uh, so that's kind of my, my concern there. This is an ultimate sandwich spot for Michigan. You're coming off an in-state rival in Michigan State that you whipped. You have Ohio State on deck. This is not a team, if you're Michigan, that you really respect. In Indiana, you have to go on the road. Like, I could see Indiana doing something here, uh, but I'm not predicting it. So it's funny, Richard, because Bud just talked about a sandwich game. Specifically, there was an interview uh, where Shea Patterson was talking about, hey, we're going to enjoy this win with Michigan State, uh, but we've got one more big one to go. That's what he told a local reporter on television. I think he then he then backtracks and said, Oh, uh, we got to go on the road to Indiana, but our eyes are still set on the last one. Richard, tell me I'm going to watch Michigan trip on its dick this weekend. Uh, we'll see. We will see. Um, I'll tell you this. A lot of words for yes, they will. Uh, what What I'm looking for, of course, is Minority Coordinator of the Week in an interesting schematic spot. Your boy Josh Gaddis, our first repeat. Um, things are going to swing back around to him because of this. We buried Michigan after the Penn State game, right? The royal yep. we, not just the three mm-hmm. of us. Um, but if you're going to talk about, and and we we talked about this with Tennessee a couple weeks ago, if you're going to talk about teams from games one to four, four to eight, eight to twelve, if you're going to talk about teams uh, getting better over the course of a season. I don't think you can leave out Michigan. Michigan is absolutely getting better. Things are clicking on offense, and I don't uh. think they're clicking because Michigan's doing anything wildly different on offense. I think they're just executing on what Josh Gaddis wanted to do. Uh, the last five Michigan games have been greater than 70% in the offensive percentile performance per our good friend Bill Connolly. They only had one game in uh, greater than the 45th percentile for offensive performance in the first five games of their season, and that was Rutgers. It's clicking for Michigan. I think it's going to click again on Saturday unless they really sleepwalk through that one with, like Bud said, if Indiana doesn't have WAP, I feel not very great about their chances in this game, uh, particularly with how Don Brown wants to play defense. So, yeah, I'm looking at Michigan. I'm looking at Michigan's offense, which is just a wild thing to say given the last two months of this season. Okay, so what I heard was uh, rousing upset. Uh, total regression back to like September level offense for Shea Patterson in Michigan. Indiana tears the goalpost down. I get wasted in the afternoon at a basketball school. I like all these things. Good job, Richard. I like your analysis. I definitely listened to it. Um, real quick, uh, guys, give me Bud. Give me one more game in the afternoon to look at because we're in the hurry up right now. Uh, okay, how about? Uh... Uh, Louisiana Tech UAB is interesting because uh, the quarterback, Jamar Smith, and receiver, Adrian Hardy, are still suspended for La Tech. So things just got real interesting 
in that league. Yeah, absolutely. When what what do we do? Like ten minutes on Louisiana Tech last week, and then the guys get suspended the next day. Awesome. Mm-hmm. I can tell you as a reporter, putting the reporter hat on, um, those suspensions may have not come from the team so much as the school. Interesting. Not good timing if you're Skip Holtz trying to get a job. It's funny you'd mention that, bud. All right, uh, Richard. One more game in the afternoon before we move on. Um, uh, it's Texas Baylor. I mean, it's okay. it, is Texas gonna fix what's broken here? If Texas loses this game, I, I mean, I feel like the Charles Barkley meme. It, it's time to have the conversation about something. We are going to have to start a dialogue about the University of Texas. <laughs> something. Something. Tim Beck uh, announced he's not returning. Richard, is that something enough? That might be it. It might be the start. That's not the coordinator we thought might need to go, was it? No. Is that going to happen, we think? Because, let's be honest, injury aside, and let me just let me pause and say this. The Malcolm Roach thing sucked, okay? There's a yeah. lot of stuff that we, we can be callous and objective and analytical about because that's our job. But the Malcolm Roach thing, if you didn't see this game, it was, it was on against... Auburn, Georgia, and there was something else that was kind of sucking the bandwidth away from Texas, Iowa State last week. Obviously, Iowa State uh, won on a, uh, a field goal at the end, but they really kind of owned the game. Uh, Malcolm Roach had an offsides penalty that basically gave Iowa State uh, the drive and the win for the on the field goal at the end. Uh, it it's it's one of those rare times, guys, where we can always point to causation lines, right? We can always say, hey, th- if not for this, then this, etc. The dude lined up the wrong way. It, it kept the drive alive. It ended the game for him. It, it just absolutely sucked. I only stop and mention that because it's one of the few times where, for whatever re- reason, that just sort of like pierced my cold black heart. And this is the difference between college and pro because if it was a pro guy, you would immediately say, well, hey, you're paid to do this. You need to be in alignment. Texas, for whatever reason, just looks beaten and emotionally down on defense. Richard, Baylor's offense first half of Oklahoma notwithstanding is still suspect, right? Um, This game means a hell of a lot to people in Austin more than they want to admit because they hate Baylor. Can Texas win this game? I mean, I think Texas can win this game. I'm not sure if Texas will win this game. I mean, if let me, let me me change up. Can, can this Texas, um, this Texas right now that has shown basically no ability to capitalize on its, uh, on its higher functions, its top end talent. Can this Texas win a game? Yeah, can can week 13 2019 Texas win this yeah. game? I, I'm not sure. I like Texas is yet to put a foot forward in the last few weeks. I know everybody and their mother's been injured, but since Red River they 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 haven't where's the progress? Like where's the next right. step? And and look, I don't think Texas was ever going to win the Big 12 this season. But you know, they haven't kind of put the next foot forward and like we just talked about with Michigan, I don't think Texas has gotten better. Now the mitigating circumstance is of course as I said injuries. So it's it's a little hard to kind of do that evaluation, um but it is a bit troubling. And then we the the thing that I have to remember when I do this line of thinking is this is Texas for God's sakes. Like I'm not talking about, uh, I'm not talking about Arkansas or A&M or, well, <laughs> I'm not talking about a Mississippi school. Or I'm not talking about Utah. I'm talking about Texas. Texas should have the talent. Texas should have the coaching expertise and staff to get better over the course of a season to put a step forward um, and become this Texas that we've all been waiting for since Tom got there. The Sugar Bowl was awesome, but they have yet to kind of cash in on that yet this season. 
All right, gentlemen, we're going to move in, and we're going to go all the way through uh, the late afternoon into the drunk, and then we'll discuss. 5 o'clock on ESPN+. Plus. FAU is at Texas San Antonio. The Battle of the Other Boot. Wow, same weekend. Mind blown. Arkansas goes to LSU. It's only a 46-point spread. It'll be a great game. ESPN, 6 o'clock. FIU is playing Miami at the Marlins Park on CBS Sports Network at 6. K-State is at Texas Tech on FS1. 6.30, Mississippi State on SEC Network plays Abilene Christian. Uh, we're going to stay in 6.30 for a second. Duke is at Wake Forest on ACC Network. ESPNU has Houston at Tulsa. Oregon is going to Arizona State. That's the primetime game on ABC, still at 6.30. SEC Network has Tennessee at Missouri. Wow. That's styles and contrast there. That's the nicest way to say that. TCU goes to Oklahoma 7 p.m. on Fox. Temple's at Cincinnati. Big game there, ESPN2. Oregon State is at Wazoo. 8 o'clock on Pac-12 Network. 9 p.m. on FS1 is Utah and Arizona. 9 o'clock on ESPN is Washington at Colorado. Boise State goes to Utah State. Maybe the last trip up potentially for Boise. 9.30 CBS Sports Network. Nevada is at Fresno State. 9.30 ESPN2. 10 o'clock San Diego State is at Hawaii. And then, by the way, there's a TBA on scheduling for BYU and UMass. I know you guys all want analysis on that one. That's actually an 11 a.m. kickoff. Um, All right. uh, I'm going to ask. I know what Richard feels about this because we've discussed it multiple times on the hurry up. Bud, what are your thoughts on Cincinnati? Because they're still the prohibitive favorite with Memphis just nipping at their heels for that G5 or the G5 New Year's Six Bowl spot. They're not looking fantastic, though. They're only the favorite because they already had their division locked up. Okay. Now, if you put them on a neutral field against Memphis or definitely against Memphis, I'm taking Memphis, and I don't think it'd be you know that close of a spread. Uh, probably like a touchdown, actually, for Memphis. Navy and SMU, I think, are probably coin flippy against Cincinnati right now. Cincinnati's just not played that well. They have not played very well. Down the stretch, uh, they really kind of dicked around with, with USF. Shut out in the that? first half. Shut out in the first half in Tampa. USF, one of five on field goals. Yes. Five. They, they made one. That was brought uh, up on the hurry up show. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so, like, I had to do favorite of the field for our, our, our twitch.tv slash banner society live show that's coming up after this. But there it, it is. be out before we, we, uh, before we release. And I'm like, I play the favorite of the field game. I'm like, yeah, I would still take Cincinnati because. I don't know who's going to win the other division, but yeah, if you give me if you give me Memphis Cincinnati, it, it's it's Memphis all day. Okay, all right. Tell me something interesting about Tennessee and Missouri, Richard. You don't have to, but you know, uh, Missouri <laughs> like an SAT question. Missouri started the season five and one. They will likely end this season six and six. That is ugly. That is really ugly. I know Kelly Bryant's been hurt a little bit. But they have now gone, I believe it is 30 drives, something like 30 drives, two and a half games without scoring a touchdown, without scoring a touchdown. Do you think any of that has to do with the fact that they've gone six fucking months not hearing whether or not they would be eligible from the NCAA? No. I don't think that's an impediment for you getting to six wins or getting to seven wins or cashing in on a really, really nice start. I mean, when it was rolling, when it was looking good, it was looking good. But, you know, you start to look at those five wins and you see, uh, hmm, Southeast Missouri State, uh, hmm, a South Carolina that, uh, you know, didn't really have a cogent offense, uh, hmm, an Ole Miss that, well, is Ole Miss. And you start to think, 
hmm, maybe that was a record built on shifting sands. Maybe they won the games that they were supposed to win, and the rest of the season has been the payoff of what they really are. Um, But it has been ugly. It is kind of staying ugly. And Tennessee, we've talked about Tennessee a lot. This is a Tennessee podcast. Um, I think Tennessee can and will win this game. Um, Missouri should think it's lucky stars that it is playing Arkansas next week or um, bowl eligibility would be in some doubt. God, it's not a Tennessee podcast. Can I jump in real quick? Uh, Go for I, it. I, Vanderbilt doesn't play this week, but I'll just use the Missouri thing as a way to segue because Vanderbilt did play a really nice game against Missouri. I don't know if you guys saw this, but Vandy announced they're going to play a home-and-home home with Virginia Tech in 2024-2025, and I don't know if Vandy checked the schedule. I'm guessing they had to, but that's also the year they have to play uh, LSU as their SEC West divisional crossover. So I was like, oh, maybe the press release should say Vanderbilt announces that it's not interested in bowling in 2024 in 2025, or maybe they have like a nice timeshare that they want to get them, bud. Up. Like what? What the? F- why? Get them. The like, funniest like, thing about that is it's not a it's not a tr- it's not a true even home and home. It's at the Titans Stadium. Now I get it's in Nashville, but it's not get at em. your high they, school. They can play it on the moon. It's still going to decrease their, their their win expectancy quite a bit as far as making a bowl. Get them. I have nothing else to add other than to egg you on in that regard. Um, I, the only context I can add is that Nashville has been trying to pull together a a national corporate sponsor to bring in um, a kickoff classic type situation in that, hey, it's Nashville, it's Labor Day weekend, they have an NFL stadium, the weather's nice enough. I think until they're able to do that, they're going to try and move various teams' home games into that slot. Like, they did it this year with Western Kentucky and Louisville. It's just that no one noticed because, you know, those two teams. Um, I am uh, – here's my question back. Why not just play the one game in Nissan? Why are you dragging your ass up to Blacksburg? They're probably getting paid. I know, but you're an SEC team. Why are you doing this, you knuckleheads? There's so much more I want to discuss about Vanderbilt. It's been hu- it's been bizarre, gentlemen, and I I relay I relate to you this. Malcolm Turner, the new AD, really the first AD they've had in 20 years, proper AD, has said that he's keeping Derek Mason. He came out and, and publicly made this statement. He was on uh, a local radio station here and said the same thing. The Midday 180, by the way, 104.5. Your boy's on there every Thursday. Um, He basically said the same thing two weeks ago. And I really like this. And this is something we'll talk about more in the offseason because he said, it's not that I think Mason is good or bad. It's that he said, hey, let's stop for a second and evaluate all the things that go into supporting a successful football program first before we decide whether or not we're going to fire a coach that we just extended and repeat the process. And I thought to myself, wow, what a refreshing dose of of." reasonable logic and things that are based off of you know math and precedent and analysis instead of just an emotionally informed knee-jerk reaction from boosters now the problem is that only happens at Vanderbilt because you don't have raving psychopaths with billion dollar checkbooks who can sway influence Uh, before we leave the tasting menu guys is there anything at night that you want to talk about here uh, slim Pickens, obviously. I'm interested in Temple and Cincinnati for exactly what Bud said. I want to know if Cincinnati is are are they are they having a spell, as William Faulkner might say, or are they actually falling apart? Uh, what's going on there? Hey, you know what? If you're if you're laying back and enjoying a, an adult beverage and just having a good time, let's see if LSU can cover that spread. That's all I really got on the evening. I know I need to dig harder. I just don't, I I will say this, Richard. You tell me if I'm wrong. Is Oregon Arizona State going to be a thing? No. Okay. All right. Well, there you go. That's the in-depth analysis that we expect. Um, all right, bud, last chance. Anything else we got? Uh, the answer is no. I will be working on Saturday, and I think I'm going to be doing the 
uh, like the watch games portion for the afternoon segment and then probably like the writing stuff portion of the workday uh, for the evening because this slate is ass. <laughs> yeah. Uh, if you are so bound and determined to watch it, I will wrap up and say this. Check out Louisiana Lafayette in that 4 o'clock game. They may be the G5 team that none of us have really talked about this year. Um, other than that, Oregon State marches on despite what Bud says. I think they're having an amazing year. I don't know why Bud is on the anti-Oregon State crusade. I think it's very weird, kind of angry on his part. Yeah. Just because I'm muted doesn't mean you, like, you can talk shit about me. I, I didn't say anything about Oregon State <laughs> at all. Bud's, I love Oregon State. Bud's anti-Oregon State, anti-Jonathan Smith bias needs to be corrected on this show, and I think they've got a, a nice puncher's chance going into the Palouse because, you know, Wazoo is just, look, I love Wazoo, but it's shoddily made fireworks, so you never know if it's going to go off in the sky or in your hand. Um, i tell you what's going to have to explode right now are these amazing ad reads. How was that for a transition? Gentlemen, welcome to the return of Hashtag AskPAPN. Here's how it works. Sometimes we do it for charity. Sometimes we do it for fun. We always want to hear from you guys. Hashtag AskPAPN on Twitter, Sometimes Instagram. we do it because we haven't done it in months. That's right. Uh, we're real, real backed up right now. However, I actually don't want to start with a, tra- a traditional Hashtag AskPAPN. Uh, on my Instagram, at 38Godfrey, I posted a, a goofy screen grab of myself that someone else sent me. Uh, because it was a tw- it was a tweet of someone being like, who the hell is this dude on my TV? It was an awkward photo of myself from the ESPN thing. So I put it up, and I said, roast away, best answer gets a hashtag AskPAPN next week. And there were a lot of people who made a lot of funny jokes. You two will very much enjoy picking through them to find a winner, especially Richard, always trying to dunk on the olds. However, I got this serious question, I guess, days later. And uh, I'm not going to read this guy's screen name because it's one of those deals where, like, you click on the account and there's, like, five followers and he doesn't have an avatar photo. And Oh, so he ain't got make... no clout? That's right. He ain't got no clout. Um, I, I don't want to make this a precedent because I'm constantly telling people like Richard and Bud and everyone that we work with, don't worry about dumb shit like this that gets said on the internet. However, I'm, I really want to get to the root of what this guy's yelling about. He said, now keep in mind, I asked for a joke thing, right? He said, <clears throat> and I quote, why is high-powered offense all you care about and value? It's really fucking old to listen to on the podcast. You act like great defense means nothing to be able to win. You completely ignore the vast number of cases where top defenses have shut down top offenses. For fuck's sake, do better. All right, gentlemen. So, uh, glory, glory to all Georgia, or... It has to be. That's my question, right? right. This has to be a Georgia fan, right? But this has to be a Georgia fan. Who else would who else would care this much in a P five situation and have this identity to defend in twenty nineteen? Can you name me another program? Uh no, because Michigan State sucks. Um <laughs> look, we don't hate great defense. We love great defense, right? In fact, we question LSU some because of of, of their defense. Uh, but we like teams that play great defense. But don't do so to the detriment of their own offense. See also Ohio State. See also Clemson. That's my thought. This is what I want to get at. Bud, we have not walked away from defense in college football, have we? What we have found are elite defenses that still complement high-scoring offenses. This is a very simple thing to say, but I think it is lost on a contingent of fans that still want 20-13 to SEC games. That's not coming back. Why? Right? Like, like, we're, we're not going to have national cha- – because offenses are better. They're better at, at exploiting coverage rules. Everybody's using the entire field now, maybe except for Georgia. Uh, and, <laughs> and so I, I think we have we have found why this guy maybe write, writes his thing. 
And, and I, I do think that it is tougher to play defense now in college football largely than it has ever been. Um, more teams are, are willing to use tempo to their advantage. It you can still play great defense. That's great. But if you play if you play defense with your offense too, I think we have reason to criticize you. Defenses so more- have also stopped. Defenses have also, I I am kind of being a little too global here on a 30,000 foot level, but defensive coaches have also kind of said, hey, we kind of need to evolve with the rise with the rising tide and our linebackers need to get leaner. Our linebackers need to maybe one or two of them get subbed off the field for a DB. Like the, the the game is trending a certain way from schematics to personnel. It is trending a certain way um, and you have to move with it. Or like we talked about, I believe last week, Georgia is the last team that plays in this style out of the elite tier of teams. God, even Michigan's doing some RPO stuff. All right, gentlemen, we have six questions from hashtag SPAPN. Uh, three ostensibly for for each of you, but you know, the, the forum is open. Bud, at Texas... Lippy, so Texas Slippy. I don't know. Do better. Uh, why would Tua ever take another snap at Bama? Get healthy and get paid in April. I agree with the, the general premise of the question. Uh, the oh, I, I, I took it because I was like, okay, can I find a creative scenario where maybe it would actually make sense for him to come back? And for the most part, I no. actually think it does. But go ahead. So, if Tua, if if the injury Tua has, which his doctors came out and said this is not not the Bo Jackson injury, which is good, and it was also diagnosed contemporaneously, which is also good because you don't have some of the effects Bo Jackson had. If there was legitimate concern about his ability to come back and play off the injury, then there could be a scenario in which if if the feedback he got on his draft stock was that it was going to plummet so much because the NFL was, was so concerned about it that maybe he was going to be like a late third rounder or, or fourth round type because teams don't want to assume that much risk. Then I and then he had a chance to go back to Alabama and and light it up and and put up huge numbers and get back into the first round. That might actually financially make some sense for him uh, to come back and say, okay, I'll spend a year in college not earning anything, at least not legally, and come (laughs) back and and get paid in the draft, right? And go in the first round and bet on myself. Typically, I don't think coming back makes a lot of sense because I don't think guys really rise up, you know, six, seven rounds for the most part if they had a legitimate chance to come out in the first and like and go in the first place. But maybe if teams had a boatload of doubt about his ability to come back healthy, I could see a possibility that it would make sense. Otherwise, my thoughts always with, with the new CBA: get to that second contract, get out and get get yeah. paid, get get like chew through that rookie deal. Richard, question. Sir. At socialist gambler, should PJ have waited to extend? No, strike while the iron's high. Get paid, baby. This question, I believe, was sent uh, the day after the Iowa game, um, and in which case, absolutely not wait to extend. Yeah, no, that is absolutely no. the time to extend. Um, you know, every coach that makes the playoff more or less gets an extension, whether they win the national championship or not. If you get to that. Uh, if you get to the dance, you you get paid uh, because other teams start coming a calling. Other teams are going to start coming a calling for uh, for PJ Fleck and at Minnesota for a while. Uh, this, I, if I recall correctly, I cannot really remember the the time frame here. But like Willie was fired, uh, Fleck got kind of thrown in the mix there behind Bob. And then Minnesota went out and beat Penn State and then lost to Iowa. I'm pretty sure I have that all 
lined up correctly. Yeah, man, that's when you get paid. You get paid when there is a potential suitor, potential shark in the water with the chum there, and you also have yourself a big win at, at a program that's ascending. I'll add very quickly because we've got to keep it moving. Um, it really comes down to what your ultimate goal is, and I think what PJ is looking at right now is is sitting – he thinks he can sit pretty for – two to three-ish more seasons at Minnesota and position for the exact job that he wants, which is a job I won't say right now, but it's not open at the moment. And that, I think, was his motivating factor. Well, yeah, I mean, there's the clearer path to the Rose Bowl every year, clearer, uh, on his side of the division, and he's seen, he's shown that he's been able to recruit in Georgia and Florida, get some talent there, get some speed. Yeah, it's, it's a decent spot to kick your feet up at for a little bit. Bud... At moviegoer44, shout out to Walker Percy, by the way. If you know, you know. What is stopping Muschamp from going option? Just lean into the slow pace, but be much harder to prepare for. Let you recruit in a more targeted way. Uh, you ever talk to South Carolina fans on, on Twitter? And their supporters, yeah, they're, they're, they're not... They're uh, majority they're not, dumbasses. Yeah, they're not into the idea that making a bowl game should be celebrated in its big accomplishment. They, they think that total blip on the radar, not repeatable circumstance of 11 wins a couple times last decade uh, is is what what it should be with generational in state talent if you go option you are admitting your ceiling and and you're saying hey we're probably going to raise the floor we're probably not going to throw up a 3 and 9 or a 4 and 8 like they're probably going to do this year with the 4 and 8 option uh, but you're not going to you're not going to go 10 and 2 running the option at a school like South Carolina and it, it's basically like Georgia Tech you can be a consistent bowl team but I know it's very anti PAPN narrative you're not going to beat the really elite teams that can get these elite defensive athletes running the option on, on a consistent basis. I think you can get to a bowl more often, but I don't think you, you're ceiling. And as an AD, you can't sell this. You can't go to your million-dollar booster and say, hey, man, we really think this can stabilize the program. We can go to bowls more often, but, but we're I, never going to win the East. The only, my only pushback is I don't think that's anti-PAPN. I think, I think more often than not, when we promote the triple, it is a situation similar to Rutgers or Oregon State, for instance. That's why I've been so – enamored with Oregon State's minor amount of success is, was I wrong? I don't use it as a, I don't view it necessarily as a last option. I do think it's more applicable than it actually has been put into practice. But at South Carolina, no, you don't run the option. I, I would just like to stop and, you know, the holidays are upon us and I feel warm inside. Nothing unifies the hosts of this show more than absolutely dunking the shit out of South Carolina fans for whatever reason. The three of us all come together in different ways to make fun of South Carolina's expectations and their fan base. I like Williams-Brice Stadium. It is an underrated, extremely rabid place to watch a college football game when South Carolina is even kind of right. They're kind of the Nebraska of the East, except they've they've never won anything, but their fans are still dedicated like Nebraska fans are. Like, they all show up, they they, they cheer loud, and, like, neither of them really done anything in, like, the last two decades. But, uh, you know... All right, let's go faster. Uh, at RF Caps Mustache, Richard, what kind of season would a kicker need to have to win the Heisman? I love the this question. Um, so, okay, we, let's, we need to talk about kind of the terms and the landscape because that this is sort of the conversation we had with Chase Young. If Chase Young was going to win the Heisman pre-snitching, um, 
it was going to have to have a little bit to do with the field writ large as well as his own personal talent. So you're going to have to have a downfield, a downfield without a quarterback who's really lighting it up on a national title or playoff contender. That's the first thing. The second thing is I think this kicker is going to need to play a separate position. I think this is going to have to be an incredible story. So I'm talking about like a wide receiver or running back or a skill player, a, a small skill player, I should say, because linemen are skill players. You're going to have to have a small skill player who needs to fill in. So it's a really, really cool story. So your team's kicker went down in week one or week two. This kicker uh, is actually a wide receiver, but comes in and kicks, uh, played soccer or whatever, has kicked his way onto the backup kicker spot and is playing really well. He has to be pretty lights out from field goal range, like not a lot of misses. But I think what's really interesting about a kicker is a kicker has a really clear path to Heisman moments and being able to 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 do that pretty often. So if you're a team, we, we bagged on defense earlier in the podcast, apparently, um, if you have a team that's winning games like 16-10 and you're kicking four or five field goals a game and you're kicking a lot of winning kicks, you have direct control as much as any single player on a football team can over a Heisman moment. You don't need really blocking. You don't need a receiver to catch the ball. You just got to make sure the operation time is lit and you can make the kick. So is it ever going to happen? No. Is there a way I could see it happening? Yeah, why not? You just described a situation in which some white scrappy slot receiver at Iowa or Kansas State gets into a a lot of low-scoring situations to win a game and then becomes the greatest New England Patriot in the history of football. So congratulations, you just put hell on earth. Look, man, I live in New York and my girlfriend's from Boston. I'm the one that has to live in that scenario. Oh, it's so bad. It's so bad. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) But... Um, sorry, that just threw me off. Um, at day drinking dad. Yeah, I bet you are. Is the Kansas better under less miles? If so, how much? Let me just say something real fast. I have a story that's going to publish soon. That's actual journalism about Kansas. So I will sit on my hands for this one. Okay. Recused himself. The gentleman from Nashville has recused himself. Uh, I would say, yeah, I I think they are legitimately better. Uh, they, They seem definitely more organized than they were before. I think he's brought a, a higher level of competency as far as the assistants that he hired. And they're still not good. They're still not even below average. Or they're, they're still bad, but they're not like, I, I'm looking at my, my, my power rankings here and Kansas is, uh, Kansas is not in my, uh, uh, my bottom like 10 or 15 teams this year. They're, S, they're SP much, plus team one, 100, 102. Okay, yeah. So that's right. Like they they're no longer bottom 120. Am I good now? Can I come out of the penalty box or Yeah, I mean, look, Kansas has at least shown like Bud said, more than anything, Kansas has shown like a direction and a plan and it it, it at least looks like we're all coalescing around a vision at Kansas. Richard, last question at Steve Gherkin. Steve G Gherkin? Well, I don't know. How will the two-lane job be viewed if, parentheses, when Willie Fritz gets hired away? Will the coaching community see it as a short-term blip or a truly improved, legit program? I have thoughts. Richard, you deliver yours first, please. 
First of all, Tulane is in the AAC, which absolutely makes uh, makes it a job that coaches see as an easy stepping stone, easier stepping stone to vault them to uh, a P5 or a high P5 job. Uh, it's in the AAC one. Two, it's in Louisiana. Are you going to compete with LSU for recruits? Nope. Can you at least hold hands with LSU in the state to recruit and and put a fence around the state? Absolutely, because Willie Fritz did that when he first got there uh, with the satellite camps uh, that were all the rage a couple years ago. Uh, Tulane has shown a little bit that they will spend some money there. Um, athletic director Troy Dannon um, has kind of gotten a vision there for athletics um, that has put a foot forward from the Tulane that we've known for the last uh, 20 years, probably since Rich Rod and um, who's the coach I'm forgetting uh, Tupperville left Tupperville. Um, so yeah, I think Tulane, I'm not going to say Tulane is a sleeping giant there, um, but I do think the job would be attractive to an up-and-coming coach to say, yeah, can I coach in New Orleans? Absolutely. Uh, I think you were talking about Tommy uh, Tommy Bowden. Is that who you were thinking about? The coach at Tulane that got Tulane to like 12-0 and 0 back in the late 90s. That would be Bowden, yeah. Tommy Bowden, one Tommy. I knew it was one Tommy. Okay. Um, all right, so I would I – would, Jump on that in the same direction and say they have their own stadium that's three years old, Yuleman Stadium. It's nice. It's nice. Yes, it is an on-campus stadium. They no longer play in the Superdome. Uh, Also, just to echo what Richard said about hand-in-hand with LSU, I thought it was a lot of lip service from LSU when um, uh, Ed Orgeron talked about we want to kind of push out Texas, push out TCU, all these schools that are doing the off-season camps in Louisiana, and we want to hold our own camps with all of the directionals, so ULM, ULL, and Tulane. I kind of thought, well, that's a little weird. I have been told by people in football it is actually working out to the benefit of those schools, Tech included, by the way, but also like McNeese and, other, and, and the FCS programs. So I think that it's a really attractive job. I think that they've done more – I'm, hey, I don't know if this is a hot take or not, Richard. I think they've done more for their football program than South Florida has. Yeah, yeah. From a from an investment standpoint, now I, I think that's kind of a tough one to one to make because Charlie was supposed to work out. But from an investment and facility standpoint, yeah, I think it can be said. Now, Tulane does not have an indoor stadium, but Tulane, like there's a lot of handholding that Tulane gets to do with some of its, uh, some of the upper crust in football. And I'm not just talking about LSU. Like when it rains, they go practice at the Saints indoor. Like Tulane kind of has some help here in a way like USF ain't practicing at the Bucks, from what I gather. No, um, I like it. I, I definitely think that we're not going to move away from the AAC jobs being attractive coaching platforms anytime soon. So I think you develop a pattern by which you're experiencing coaching turnover in a positive way every three to four years. I think it's a good job. I think you have a top end and low end AAC jobs moving forward. And then the exemption being Navy because of all the particulars there. But just real fast, guys, if you want to do this, bud, you can jump in too. Look at the American Athletic Conference right now. I mean, we, we don't have to go through the fact that they've They've essentially propelled all the hot name coaches in the last couple of years, with a few exceptions. This is the factory for coaching, right? So we have the following teams. I'll read them off, and we, let's just go ahead and split top end job, low end job. SMU, Memphis, Navy, Tulane, Tulsa, Houston, Cincinnati, Central Florida, Temple, South Florida, Connecticut, East Carolina. So right off the bat, we know we're going to exempt Navy, so we'll pull them out of there just because it's so so particular. 
Um, obviously, they, they are a great football program. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying it's, it's very apples and oranges. The next one I would pull out immediately would be UConn, who may not have the program there soon anyway. The next one I would pull out would be Tulsa. If anybody wants to disagree with me, by the way, feel free to jump in. And then probably after that, I would pick out ECU. Yeah. Except ECU was a great program for a really long time before they ran into some financial trouble and made some bad coaching hires. But after you are going to have fan support at at ECU. Yes. And then after that, this is where it gets really interesting because now we're to the I middle. Think, I think that we what we did was the bottom. Now we're at the middle. I think this is where it gets it gets interesting because the top to me is Central Florida, Cincinnati, Houston. In no particular order, okay. Those are the very I think top Memphis, schools. I think Memphis should be there. Memphis to me is the fourth, but they 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 are closing in on being up there because they still need to dedicate resources. They still need to, and I know I'm going to get a bunch of angry shit from 901, and I don't really care because you live in a bubble. There are still things that Memphis needs to do to support that football program. Trust me, that's the top tier. I think right underneath that is SMU. And Tulane. Now, I the, so here's my question: South, Florida which means USF is, and Temple are also in that middle too, just to kind of completion I guess, the yeah, conference. I guess Richard, because like coaches are always going to jump at South Florida as a job, but God, I mean, you you more than anyone have talked about this this year on the show. They don't do well. Like they they don't support that program. They don't put the money in, and then the the outlier school is Temple. Temple I think the. Like I think they're playing really good football, but they but Temple, I would have some of the same criticisms that I would have of South Florida. I think the team that is straddling middle to top and can get to top, uh, and and top is within an arm's reach is USF. But I do not think top is there for USF. That's a program that has never won a conference championship. Okay, so Tulane, I think you're striking distance at the very very top. And honestly, if you had to, here's the thing, Richard. If 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 a Tulane booster said, "What do we have to do to be at the top?" I'm not. I mean, I think I kind of think you've done everything you can. Well, I think put you butts. put the first foot forward. You put the first foot forward. Multiple bowl games, like that's that's yeah. step one. And you got that's a foundation. Build on it. Yeah, uh, I, w- I would work on fans too because not all these schools have great fan traditions. But I definitely think that Tulane has a stigma against it, much the way Vanderbilt does in Nashville, of just sort of being the toity out of town or private school. There's some racial issue there. There's some economic issue there. I think the more that you smooth that out and work within your community to, to get people interested in the product, I think that does help the football program more than it helps the other the other sports. Um, Tulane does benefit from being very much in New Orleans. Like it's not in you know where like Lil Wayne grew up or where <laughs> where Leonard Fournette no, grew up in the city, so, but it is it's within the city. It is get to a bowl. Yes, it is. Uh, so if you've never been, Tulane kind of anchors the the uptown neighborhood, which is uh, is is toity. My brother in law went to law school next door at Loyola. Um, all right, Bud, take us home. Give me something bizarre and interesting in these future lines. Uh, Ohio State minus 11 at Michigan at FanDuel. Alabama minus 2 at Auburn, also at FanDuel. So Bama's still favored. Interesting. Uh, Wisconsin, I had to look this up, probably minus 4 at Minnesota. It's an estimate. They don't have that one posted. Clemson minus 23 at South Carolina. That's no estimate. Uh, that that's they're, they're expecting a beat down there on the road for the Tigers. Oklahoma minus 10.5 at Oklahoma State. That's at FanDuel. And then A&M at LSU. LSU minus 15. That is an estimate. Interesting to me, by the way, I think the drop-off from the top three to the number four in the playoff, whoever that is, right now Utah actually looks like the favorite to go to the playoff over Oregon and Oklahoma, if you look at the odds, probably because Utah is going to be favored over Oregon in that Pac-12 title game. 
Uh, the drop-off between the top three teams and the fourth, I think, is really, really huge. And that means it's real important to get that number one seed. But I Because you don't I, want to be the team that has to play Clemson. I want to, uh, real quick, I want to ask you, is that... Is it different this year? Because every year that fourth team has not been in, whether it's Michigan State, whether it's Washington, whether it's Notre Dame last year. Notre Dame last year? Notre Dame last year. Um, it, it seems like that drop-off from three to four is just so stark. Is it different this year than it has been in the, the previous four? It's somewhat different. I, I think part of it is the depth that we have. Like, like we think LSU is a really good team. Uh, Clemson might honestly be the best team in the country right now, even though I think most power ratings still have – Ohio State, but getting to dodge Clemson in the semifinal and instead playing a Utah, Oklahoma, or Oregon is a huge difference. I mean, for an elite elite team like an Ohio State or, or an LSU, you're looking at maybe a 20 or 30% difference in win probability. Um, anyone else feel really good about Clemson covering on the road? I'm not piling on South Carolina. I just think <clears throat> they're still in prove-it mode, and they're very worried about their resume strength. So... This is an SEC game. I mean, I know it's an SEC team that lost to App and definitely has some fatal flaws and it's going to finish 4-8, and eight, but I I foresee Clemson wanting to pour it on just, just for that final resume bullet before they go to the uh, conference title game. I think the, the one thing you always have to worry about Clemson is if they get up too much too early, Dabble's going to throw them backups in and not have any worry about that. I mean, if the, the threshold is when Dabo's son is playing, you know that we've gotten past even the second string. Um, it's it's the backups to the backups. That could be a situation if they get out in front really early against Carolina. But I will say this about Clemson. Clemson, for a program, I am routinely impressed with how uh, the, the championship phase thing that they do. They're able to kind of break the season up into three parts um, and seamlessly transition throughout a season and also say that, hey, publicly, these games are more important than our other games. Clemson's not really done the, oh, every game's the same. Like, no, nah, man, this is championship phase. This is the time where we're Clemson and we make our hay. And I've always been really impressed at the, the way Dabble's been able to do that. I love seamless transitions because I'm going to ask Bud where I can find all of his knowledge on Twitch. Yeah, uh, you could go to twitch.tv slash Banner Society. All right, gentlemen. If uh, Again, if you guys are anywhere near Indiana, come see me in Bloomington this week with uh, Spencer Hall, a little home field tailgate before Indiana, Michigan. Richard, I'll see you on the tasting menu, Bud. We'll see you next week.